You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to the end of John chapter 11. John chapter 11, as we finish up this amazing story of Lazarus. Most powerful story perhaps in all of Jesus' ministry uh, when He raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 20 and verse 31 says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The purpose of all of John's Gospel is that you might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, believing that He is the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. And we come to the tail end of this chapter in which we've seen three different encounters so far. The first being the encounter with the disciples. Jesus Uh, In in fear of Jesus' life, they beg Him not to go to the home of Lazarus. And of course, you know at this point, He waited two days and then traveled to the home there. On the way to the home, He encountered Martha. In the midst of her grief, we come to see Jesus as the One who is the resurrection and the life. That's the second encounter. First with the disciples, second with Martha, and then last week, we saw the encounter with Mary where Jesus demonstrates His compassion not only on the grieving of a family that experienced loss, but ultimately the compassion on every sinner in need of mercy. Jesus demonstrated this compassion when He wept over the condition of the people. This morning we come to the final encounter in the very climax of the story where Jesus not only deals with the entire crowd together, but He comes face to face with the reality of death and something amazing happens. Outside of the events of Jesus' own death and resurrection, this is perhaps the most powerful act of Jesus recorded anywhere in the Gospels. That is, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It is, by the way, the only Gospel in which we find this story. The Gospel of John. No other Gospel writer records this event. And that, I believe, is because this story is particularly significant to John's message. The purpose in this Gospel in which we see Jesus being the Son of God is uh, put on display, if you will, here in this event. And this one event sets the stage for the rest of this gospel. So, if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we finish up this story together, beginning in John chapter 11 and verse 38. 
The Bible says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you have those of us who know you as Lord and Savior in this room. You have unbound us and let us go. Though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we have been made alive together with Christ because of Your grace, that it is by grace through faith that we have been saved, that nothing we could ever do could ever save ourselves, but Jesus, You have saved us purely on Your merit, Your righteousness. And we thank You this morning that death no longer has any hold on us, but that Yours is the victory. And pray this morning that You would remind us of the victory that is ours in Christ that You would remind us of what it means to truly be alive and to live as those who've been set free from death. And Lord, we do pray for those in this room who may still be in the grave spiritually. We pray that You would set them free by the power of Your Spirit this morning. That You would call them out of the darkness into the marvelous light, and that today, Jesus, they would be saved by Your grace as well. That You would receive glory and honor in all of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As in many other places in the Gospel of John, Jesus' concern in this crowd is not their comfort. He's not concerned about giving them a few good tips or advice for living. Jesus' concern is about one primary thing, and that is their unbelief. In fact, this is always Jesus' chief concern when confronting sinners. It is our unbelief. It is the sin of unbelief that provides the very foundation for all other sin. This is why as we were looking at John chapter 3 and verse 18, Jesus said, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That's the deciding factor. Who is it that believes upon Christ? That person is not condemned. He says, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is the issue. It is their unbelief that condemns them, and ultimately, therefore, their unbelief that Jesus confronts. And we already learned of Jesus' frustration with their unbelief. Their 
their unbelief in Jesus being able to do something about this man who had died. The hopeless grief of Mary and Martha and the outrage of Jesus against these professional mourners. Do you remember verse 33? When Jesus saw her weeping, that is Mary, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, these professional mourners paid to be there in order to help the family grieve. He was deeply moved in his spirit. And we learned last week that that's the idea of being internally outraged. This, this internal angst that Jesus had as he thought about what's happening. The Bible says he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In John 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. So we see this response of Jesus being moved deeply in His Spirit, greatly troubled, the Bible says, and therefore weeping. This inward turmoil leading to this outward sorrow over the condition of the people. Not just their their weeping over the loss of a loved one, but ultimately all of their wrong thinking, all of their wrong worldview, all of their wrong theology, all of the wrong believing. Jesus is broken hearted over their lives. But then verse 37 gives the exact same response as we saw before he wept. In fact, it is a response to the objection of the people. Notice verse 37. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And it says in verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. The objection is, Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, couldn't you have stopped this? And again, as we said last week, there's many of us who have prayed the very same thing. Jesus, if you are this great God that you say that you are, then this is what I want from you. Jesus doesn't always work things in our timetable or according to our list, does he? In fact, quite the opposite. Most of the time, Jesus does what is on his own list, and it's opposite most of the time of what ours is. So, he responds with the same kind of deeply movedness. (laughs) This, This compassion that is fueled by this inner angst about their condition. Even Martha we think about the unbelief of the, 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 the paid mourners here. It's not just them. Even Martha. Whenever Jesus says, take away the stone, notice in verse 39 that she says to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Martha still can't get beyond the impossibility of the circumstances that she's in. She's not even thinking in her mind that, that Jesus could do anything about this. For her, again, death is an end. It's a dead-end street. Jesus is troubled, grieved over the unbelief, not only of the sinners that surround them, but the brokenness of the lives of His friends. And He confronts their unbelief. It is the power of Jesus that is ultimately in question at this moment. The power of Jesus to do something in response to the death Of their loved one. And John wants to remove all doubt. He wants to take away any sense in which we doubt the power of Jesus, the Son of God. And in this moment, 
John leaves no doubt in our minds about the fact that Lazarus is actually dead. Right? Verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and He gives us a description of what we're seeing here. Short one, but it's there. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Now, the tomb of Lazarus was much like the other tombs of the first century. They would hollow a place out in the cave, sometimes multiple places within one tomb, but it was still a hollowed out portion of the cave. And then after the person was buried, they would roll a stone in front of the tomb in order to seal the entrance. Not only was the tomb, was the, the stone over the tomb's entrance so that it was sealed, he had been dead, Martha tells us, four days now. And at this time of the, the, the world, they didn't embalm bodies. This time of the world, after four days, the body would have already begun the decomposition process. And this is why Martha tells us he's been dead for four days. You should know that Lazarus is absolutely dead. In fact, twice in the text, we're told that this is its not even referring to him as Lazarus anymore. It's the man who died. Verse 44, John, John calls him the man who died. It's as if the story has gained some traction at this point and they only know Lazarus now after having heard the story as the one who died. And then the people begin saying at the end, is this the man who was dead? Lazarus is dead. It's over. It's final. He's not coming back. But the story that John gives us demonstrates that Jesus has power not just in life, but also in death. And that His power has absolutely no limit. That He has all power over life and death. Death was no match for Jesus. And so, Jesus declared in power over death just three words. He says, Lazarus, come out. And verse 44 tells us that the man who had died came out. There wasn't any waiting around to see what would happen. He actually came out of the grave on his own legs. I mean, they, they saw him. He was dead and now he's here. He's alive. He's walking around. It is the fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen though, isn't it? Verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha should have got this. But she didn't. She didn't. And here Lazarus walks out of the tomb. I don't know about you, but that would have creeped me out a little bit. I mean, in that moment, how can you say anything else? But Jesus, you must be the son of the living God. Everyone around knew that he was dead. And there is a startling truth that maybe we take for granted as 21st century Christians that perhaps 1st century Christians would not have taken for granted. And that is the fact that Jesus has all power to raise the dead to life. Jesus has all power to raise the dead to life. That is the picture of this text. But it's a story that's not just about Lazarus. And it's not just about physical death. If that's all there was to it, that would be good news in and of itself. But that's not all there is to it. Don't miss it. John not only wants us to know what Jesus did, but why He did it. This is not just a miracle story. This is a 
missional story. Notice what Jesus says in response to Martha, verse 40. He says, did I not tell you if you would believe, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There's something you would come to know about God if you believed. You would, you would come to see God for who He is and, and what He can do and all of His power and all of His might. And this picture of glory is always a picture of worshiping. He says, if you would have just believed, you would see the glory of God. And then Jesus prays. They take away the stone. And Jesus lifts up His eyes to the Father and He says, I thank you. That you've heard me. Always addressing God as Father. We know Jesus is the Son of God. We've seen that over and over. And notice what he says in verse 2. I knew that you always hear me. He's not thanking God because he thought you wouldn't have heard him. But he's thanking God in this public way. Saying this on account of the people standing around. Why? That they may believe that you sent me. It's missional. His whole purpose in raising Lazarus from the dead and then praying to the Father is so that they would believe in God. He he raised Lazarus from the dead so they might believe the Gospel. In fact, the mission statement of this text, that they may believe you sent me, is one and the same with the mission statement of the whole Gospel. That we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing we might have life in His name. That's the point. And here's where this becomes so amazing. Perhaps the most amazing of all. Don't miss this. As impossible as it is to raise Lazarus from the dead, it is equally impossible to raise the spiritually dead to life. Now listen to this. Just as impossible as it is to raise a dead man, so equally as impossible is it to raise the one who is spiritually dead. In other words, it's just as hard for a dead man to live as it is for a sinner to become saved. It's as much a miracle to raise the dead to life as it is to save the lost. These two tracks are running parallel, aren't they? Direct proportion to their unbelief is the impossibility. The impossibility of dealing with their unbelief and the impossibility of dealing with their dead. And Jesus actually answers the question to both of those. The result of the text is not just that Lazarus is raised to life. The result of the text, notice it with me, verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. The resulting action of Jesus raising the dead to life is the the believing of sinners. It's right in line with what Paul tells us in Ephesians, isn't it? One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because it so explains our, our heart and our condition before God and yet makes what is impossible possible. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul actually says, you were like Lazarus. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Unable to raise yourself. 
unable to come to life on your own. It was a dead-end street. You were hopeless. You were without any, any opportunity. There was no answer for your life. As a person who was born into sin, separated from a holy God, that was a dead-end street for you. Paul describes it in this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Like a, like a person who's just following their cravings. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's our condition naturally. And Paul says, there's no way out of that on your own. But he frames that as an if kind of statement. Or a, or a, a once was kind of a statement. Understanding that's who you were. It's a past tense in verse one. Equally as hopeless as Lazarus, he says, and feel the glory of this. See the impossibility of what is happening. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see what's happening? In raising Lazarus from the dead and bringing sinners to the point of faith, Jesus is in fact demonstrating His power to raise not only the physically dead to life, but the spiritually dead to life. And there is an answer for the hopelessness of sin. And it is Christ, the power of Jesus to overcome the seal of death, the same power of Jesus to overcome this, this, this stone, Jesus is able to overcome our sin. And the direct outcome of the passage is that many believe in Him. And can I say to you this morning, the same possibility is true in each and every one of our lives. That Jesus is able to save us From our sin. And it gets even better. Because the story is not ultimately only about Lazarus. It's not just about the one who Jesus would raise to life. That would be insufficient in and of itself. There are three resurrection stories in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus raising the widow's son in Luke chapter 7. Jairus' daughter, Matthew chapter 9 and other parallel passages. And then, of course, Lazarus, where we are this morning. But this story is unique. This one is unique because it immediately turns from the death and resurrection of Lazarus to the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a turning point in, in the Gospel of John. If you just kind of track with it, if you read all of John's Gospel, here's what you're going to find. Immediately from the the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus turns toward this plot to kill Jesus. And the anointing of Jesus' feet by Mary. 
And the, the story of the triumphal entry and the upper room kind of teaching that Jesus had and His arrest and His burial. And ultimately, when you get to John chapter 20, His resurrection. It's as if it's a signaling point. See this story? Let me do you one better. <laughs> the reality that all of this is true and Jesus can raise the spiritually dead to life and the physically dead to life because Jesus Himself cannot be held down by death. Jesus Himself was raised to life three days after His own death. Turn with me just for a moment to... John chapter 20, and we're not going to belabor this because Easter is coming and I look forward to celebrating this again with you, but you've got to see these parallels. You've got to see what John is doing here. John chapter 20, it is the story of the resurrection and notice what happens. Here they are, not at Lazarus' tomb, but Jesus' tomb. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came out uh, or came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Remember, Jesus says, take the stone away. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She still can't explain what's happening here. She's still struggling. And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We, don't, we do not know where they have laid Him. She thinks they've stolen the body. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. There's the same clothes, the grave clothes. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now watch this. Here's Mary again, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. You see the parallel moment? Mary hopeless, Jesus having wept over their condition, Mary weeping over her own loss, still not yet understanding what's going on. And she wept, as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did, not, she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener? She said to Him, Sir, if you have carried Him, carried him away, tell me where you have laid Him and I will take Him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And it says that Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I 
have seen the Lord. This is now believing Mary. She has seen the Lord. The story of Lazarus is the foreshadowing of this event. It is in fact the foreshadowing and the unveiling of the One who would finally conquer not just Lazarus' death and not just His own death. It is the unveiling of the One who would conquer death itself so that death no longer held any sway over believers or anyone who is in Christ would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is the belief in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus has all power to raise the dead to life. Well, in the story of Lazarus, there are three commands. Jesus gives three commands, and in those three commands, we see this power over death, and we see it in certain ways. Certain ways that should radically change the way we as believers see death. And anyone who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. You're here this morning having never trusted in Christ. No, Jesus has all, all authority over death and everything changes when Jesus enters the scene. So number one, the first command that we see is in verse 39 when Jesus says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. And here is the first truth. Jesus saves us from the seal of death. Jesus saves us from the seal of death. When God created the world, He created everything perfect. He never intended that death would come into the world. Death was in fact the result of sin. And in that moment, whenever man sinned, the entire earth was cursed. Death entered the world and we were sealed in it. Meaning, there was no escape. You and I could do nothing to escape death. Every single one of us will ultimately face death. And it's the result of our rebellion against God. It's the bad news. But when Jesus enters the scene, He says, take away the stone." In other words, the seal of Lazarus' death in this story, Jesus breaks. He says, it's not sealed anymore. Right? Whenever you receive an envelope in the mail, some of us still receive snail mail, right? Uh, Most of it's junk, but some of us still receive. When you receive that in the mail, you are immediately alarmed whenever you find an opened envelope. Right? Especially one that is important. We know what it means for something to be sealed. It means that it should not, cannot be opened by someone who is unauthorized. And Jesus says, I am authorized. Take away the stone. Remove the seal. And by the way, the only one who could do this. And Jesus says, the seal to the tomb that says no one can go in, no one will come out, that seal, Jesus says, remove it. In effect, opening this pathway to death through which Jesus bridges the gap. And Jesus says, take it away. If you've read the story of Jesus' own burial, it is similar. 
This is Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62. Here's what the Bible says. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, this is right after Jesus has been buried, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, little did they know, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Even these Pharisees knew the teaching of Jesus. So what do they do? Let's seal him in. Verse 64, Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. In other words, this imposter will be even made more of an imposter by the lying of his own followers. So Pilate said, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. I love that statement. You do everything in your power to put the seal on death. Can I tell you this morning that the enemy himself is doing everything in his power to put the seal on our death? That everything that we strive for and everything that we rebel against God for, it tries to put the seal on death. But verse 66 says, So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And we know that Jesus rolled the stone away. The seal of death is removed. It is not final. And when the seal of death is removed, it means that there is in fact a way to eternal life, and Jesus has provided it. In fact, because of being in Christ, it is quite the opposite. Not only is our death no longer sealed, but our eternal life is, in fact, sealed. Ephesians 1 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Believer, understand this this morning. Jesus saves us from the seal or the finality of death. It no longer holds us. Secondly, the second command Jesus issues is Lazarus, come out. Come out. Jesus calls us out of the condition of death. He calls us out of the condition of death. And He does so, notice, by His Word. He doesn't run into the tomb and grab Lazarus around the ankles and drag him out, you know. He calls him out by His Word. Hear the call of Jesus and come forth. Romans 8 says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and by the way, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, dwells in believers. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Jesus calls sinners forth by His Word. The Bible says in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do those who are dead in their trespasses and sins become alive in Christ. It is by the Word of Christ. 
It is through the the gospel of Christ, through the truth of God's word. This is the only way we come to believe. And it is the only way we come to live. He says that Peter tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Romans 8 says that we are the called according to his purpose. We see in John 6 that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Or John 10 and verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There is a calling out of the tomb. Brother Curtis and I have a conversation often about his, one of his favorite songs. And he tells me, I, I, I'm gonna, I want that song sung at my funeral. You need to mark this down. It's that coming out of the grave song, right? Because when you hear the call of Christ, you're running out of that grave, right? Believers respond to the call of Christ. The condition of death, we're called out of this. And Jesus is calling us this morning, you this morning, if you've never come out of death into life, Jesus is calling you. And we must respond in obedience. Come and trust in Jesus and be saved. Come and believe the Gospel and be made alive. It's the call of God in Christ. Come forth, He says to Lazarus. There is a third command. The third command is unbind Him and let Him go. There, verse 44, unbind Him and let Him go. So number three, Jesus frees us from the bondage of death. Jesus frees us from the bondage of death. In Lazarus' resurrection, He comes forth. But notice when He comes out of the grave, He's still bound in those grave clothes. And Jesus issues a second command and says, let Him go. (laughs) Take off the grave clothes and let Him go. Those clothes of death, those things that characterized His life of death, take those off of Him. They're only binding Him. They're only imprisoning Him. Let Him go out of those garments. Notice this is very different from Jesus' own resurrection. When Jesus came out of the grave, no one had to say to the grave grave clothes, let Him go. Jesus came out and they were folded and left behind. When Jesus came out of the grave, He left no trace of death. He defeated it ultimately. When He climbed out of that grave, there was no sense in which He was ever dead. Jesus was just as alive then as He had ever been. We believe this theologically, that Jesus is in fact alive and those who become alive in Christ are made alive, but we struggle with it practically, don't we? One of the biggest struggles that believers have is being alive in Jesus, but still struggling with all the trappings of the tomb. In other words, Some of you may be alive in Christ, but you're struggling to leave the grave clothes behind. Sinfulness, all of the flavor of death, our unbelief, as is seen in this text, pride, 
lust, selfishness. All of the things that we see condemned in Scripture, we have a hard time leaving in the grave behind us. But that's not the way Romans calls us to live. Romans 6 and verse 8 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Therefore, he says, death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is a need for us to leave the grave clothes behind. And this can be incredibly difficult. A real war with our flesh that happens every day of our lives. Claiming the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, but having the stench of sin still intermingled in our lives. And Paul says, leave that behind. And the glorious news of Jesus having power over death is that not only did He say to Lazarus, unbind him, let him go, He is saying to us and saying to sin and saying to death and saying to the enemy, constantly interceding on our behalf, saying, let them go. And the good news of the Gospel is that He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. That the very sin that condemned us and the very sin that we go on struggling against is the very sin Jesus says has no power over us anymore. Jesus is victorious. And so, we live in the victory of life. And we trust in Jesus to free us as we follow after Him, as we hear the voice of our shepherd, and we run after Jesus with all of our might. Jesus continually removes the old life from us as we follow Him. Jesus has all power over death, and death no longer has any hold on the believer. With every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning... If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need to understand that you are dead in trespasses and sins. That you are without God and without hope in the world. And that you need saving. There's nothing you can do about your condition. Only Christ can make you alive. It it is a road of eternal death and separation from God. And only Jesus... By faith in His name, through His grace, it is by grace through faith in Jesus alone that you will be saved from death. But know this, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ today, you will be made alive. You'll be saved from sin, saved from eternal death and separation from God. And today, today you will be born again as a follower of Christ. Just a few moments, we want to invite you to make that decision. To make the decision to give all that you are to Jesus today. If you're that person in this room having never done that, we invite you in just a few moments when we stand together and begin to sing, that you step out of the place where you're standing. Come down this aisle. Today, Pastor, I want to be saved. I want to know life in Christ. 
And today I'll lead you to Jesus who will save you. The Bible says that if you'll call upon His name today, you'll be saved. Turning from your sin and trusting wholly in Christ. Others in this room, there are ways in your life today that you need to turn afresh and anew to Christ. Leaving the grave clothes behind. Would you do that? Would you submit your life fresh and new to Jesus today? Maybe there's others in this room who've got different decisions God has laid on your heart this morning. Would you respond in obedience today? All across the room, stand with me as we have our time of invitation this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts, that we would be obedient to you and that you would be honored. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.